Hello. Hey, Charlie. Hi, George. How are you? Yes, I'm very well. Very well, thank you. Here we are. Another, another, another end of the week. Another week of Archer's episodes. And uh, yes, lovely to hear your voice again. Oh, thank you. Well, and it's another episode of Archers and Tea. But this time, um, as last week, dealing with Archers Revisited. Yes, absolutely. So we're going back to... I, I, so it wants me to say olden days, but unfortunately some of these are not so olden, <laughs> but just make me feel a bit olden. <laughs> Definitely. I've had that experience listening to a couple of these episodes and going, that's not, that can't be from an archive. That was surely only like last year. And then you realise it was 19 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. But uh, welcome everybody. Lovely to have you back. Thank you for joining us again. Mm. And if you are new to Archers and Tea, um, this is the podcast where George and I sit down with a cup of tea and a biscuit and talk about the week's episodes of The Archers. Um, Even if you're new to The Archers, it could be quite good to listen to because we often uh, help to explain what's going on in the storylines, but also dissect the brilliant. um, That's crap. I'm going to start again. Oh, and the cat's got up. So this is good. Okay, hold on. Right, come on. Out. Hilarious. Maybe I'll keep some of this in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> out cat. Out cat. Out down uh, so, cat. Out down cat. <laughs> Excellent work, George. Um, if you can't tell, ladies and gentlemen, we're actors. Um, yes, <laughs> believe it or not. But in Archers and Tea, uh, we sit down and we dissect the latest episodes of The Archers because normally we would be doing that in in real life, in non-lockdown life. Uh, But seeing as we can't, we thought we'd record it and then invite you to tune in, grab a cup of tea, relax, and join our little conversations. Indeed. So hope you enjoy. Mm. So we had more... um, So last week we had uh, sort of like big... Big special occasion episodes, wasn't it? It was sort of all special George, occasion. George, don't try and like pretend that you didn't come up with the best thing. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> which, it which was four my, weddings and a funeral. My dad accused me of having come up with that and pretending to come up with it on the spot, or at least kind of accused me of being—I don't know—being stupid you... that I hadn't thought of it before, um, <gasps> but, which I thought was very harsh. Particularly as I hadn't thought about it at all. Oh, no, um, no, neither of us had. It was all that was a genuine moment of realization. But yes, we had four weddings and a funeral. Um, mm-hmm. Our our Hugh Grant week of episodes, as I said, mm, yeah, which was which was exciting actually. I, I I sort of I really enjoyed last week's episode. Sorry, going back two weeks now. Um, in terms of you know every episode was a bit different. I thought it was all going to be a bit kind of like yeah, all the same same sort of thing. You know, lots of weddings, all the same kind of thing but actually very different. That is a really good point. I mean, the episodes varied hugely and the events of the wedding, the tone, as you put it, of each mm. episode varied yeah. massively. So, you know, you'd think that The Wake would be the saddest and most sort of dark episode, but in fact, it, it felt a little bit like the most hopeful and yeah. uplifting episode. That's a really lovely point, actually. Well, thank you. It might also be because it was timed very sadly with the death of the actor, Ted Kelsey. Mm. Um, as well but it was a really really interesting set of episodes it included the episode where Alice and Chris returned from Vegas and they just got married um, without having planned to the episode focuses on Jennifer and Brian's reaction in general doesn't it yeah and we were sort of we were almost I don't know laughing at the fact that uh, of their prejudice at sort of you know thinking it was a bit of a class 
looking down on a Horobin sort of thing. Hmm. And I think it was to a to yes. a certain degree. You know, I don't think it's unfair to say that that Jennifer and Brian Aldridge are probably a little have a are guilty sometimes of being a little snobby. Oh, yeah. But we were also informed by some listeners who've been listening even longer than us, um, which actually I say that like that's difficult, but it's not because <laughs> George and I have only been listening for a couple of years. Uh, but we were we were informed by uh, longer serving listeners that um, there there was more to it than that. So around that time in the Arches, the Horribins did actually have quite a bad reputation. Uh, they had genuinely been involved in some dodgy goings on. Uh, Susan had been to prison, which I'm yet to find out what for. So I think I sort of found out this week that it. So her brother had done. Her brother had done something. He'd done some armed robbery or something dreadful like that. I think is that right? Yes, I've actually I've written in my notes. <laughs> I think uh, my spell check changed. I think I must have spelt the word robbed badly. Or right. I was listening to something else at the time because it says Susan's brother bombed the post office. <laughs> now that, which <laughs> that's not not very archers, is it? <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Um, I know I shouldn't laugh about that, but it's just so not to the archers. No, 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 uh, absolutely. No, he, he set fire I... to. No, he didn't set fire. <laughs> I am obsessed with with explosions. He robbed the post office and held people hostage before setting fire to a house. Right. That is what he did. Okay, got you. <laughs> so I think after that, Susan um, let him stay at her house and hide away. So I right. think she was basically an accessory. Um, and that's why mm. she went to prison. I think that's right from my research. That does make sense. And also because that is something a bit more Susan, you know, she'd do anything yes. for her family. She's yes. not she's not a nefarious being uh, in general, but she would, of course, do anything for her family. And um, and it's a bit more understandable. But of course, all of that adds up to providing a little bit more perspective, a little bit more understanding as to why uh, the Aldridge's might be wary of a closer connection with with the horror bins they were distraught (laughs) they were just wearing they were distraught um yeah no absolutely it kind of yeah a little bit more understanding there yeah so thank you everyone who who got in touch to let us know and we'd love to hear more information and more of your memories of uh, the archers back in the day absolutely and there's bound to be stuff this week that we uh we are completely ignorant of so please do get in touch about any Mm. of that as well so we started off the week on sunday with um it was an episode called Brookfield in lockdown. Mm, really, for a minute, I got very excited and I thought mm. that they had been quite quickly curating uh, recordings and had created a special new episode where Brookfield in real time, in now time, uh, was in lockdown due to coronavirus. And we were just going to maybe hear from David and Ruth and Pip. Um, but no, of course, it, I quickly caught on when Bert and David were checking the sheep's feet and mouths that this must yes. have been during the... 2001 outbreak of foot and mouth disease yeah absolutely which i i remember that i remember being a massive thing um mm. i mean obviously not I, I i sort of wasn't living in a farming community particularly um but i just i remember pics on the news of those like oh it was awful kind of piles of bodies of of cows being burned because they you know they, they'd been found to have the infection oh it was awful yeah it had a huge effect on the farming community, didn't it? Um, emotionally as well as financially, I think 
I I can't possibly you know truly understand what it must have been like but I do remember the the pictures of of exactly as you say those pictures and it being just on the news every single day I just I think at that point I just moved away from uh, the countryside so I had grown up in the Lake District at that point up to that point um, right. in Cumbria in Lake Windermere we were not in the farming community personally but a lot of our friends and acquaintances in uh, Grange of Sands uh, were of course farmers and Big families of farmers Sands. big it up Grange of Sands it was mentioned once in an episode of Dinner Ladies you know Victoria Woods Dinner Ladies and it went yes, around the absolutely. village it was the biggest day oh, I say amazing. village it's actually I think it was a little town mm-hmm. um very small town but uh yeah and I remember we just moved away but obviously still in touch with loads of people from from Grange and uh hearing about what they were going through and it was it's really wow. awful but it, it was definitely yeah. a moment listening to this episode that we were mentioning earlier where I thought god that was that wasn't that long ago and then I realized it was 19 years ago and I mm. am 30 I'm 30 <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong nothing wrong with that thank you um, George it's um it's it's interesting. Like, so I, I had a little bit of a, a look into kind of what was happening at the, the time. What was interesting about this this week's episodes, I think, compared to last week, last week's episodes, all episodes all felt like the culmination of something like a, a big kind of one-off. Whereas a lot of these sort of felt like they were, I don't know, in the middle of a storyline. So so there was obviously lockdown happening here. But I, I sort of wanted to find out what had happened before, why they were locked down. Um, mm. And I... And, I, I think I'm right in saying that David's dad, Dan Archer, they had a foot and mouth outbreak in the 1950s, I think, and basically had to slaughter all of their um, all of their livestock. Um, mm. And so David is very wary now um, of the fact that that could happen again, and that's why he's put they put it all into lockdown um, mm. because presumably, you know, it was spread by I don't know people could spread it by coming. You know, going back and forth over, over, um, you know, from from farm to farm. Um, oh yeah, it was really easy to spread. I do remember that that you, you know, just walking in the countryside, you could take it from one place to another. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you know, shortly before this episode, there had been a case in Little Croxley, or so you know, somewhere somewhere local. So they were mm. properly like, right, we need to shut this down. I think at first they thought it was going to only be for a couple of weeks, but then. I think it turned out being six weeks or something, I think, that they were locked down wow. for. Wow. Wow. Mm. That must be really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for Bert as well. So we opened the episode with Bert's, Bert there, uh, which I was a bit surprised about. I was like, oh, okay, what was Bert doing on the farm? Because he doesn't actually mm. live there. How's he there? Um, and it turns out that he has, he sort of, I don't know, to use the, lang- the current language, self self-isolating on the farm. So he has left Frida, who, of course, we never hear from silent character mm. um he's left her at home and he's staying on the farm to kind of help help run it which is remarkable ah uh, yes of course so that's really interesting he's gone the farm fa- the farm's going to need help but i'm not going to yeah. be able to c- keep crossing in and out crossing that sort mm. of imaginary not imaginary but sort of that border um uh, every day so i'm going to just stay there and be there and part of the isolation that is fascinating which yeah. of course is what some people did during the latest outbreak you know this outbreak of um of COVID-19 people quite uh, early on in the process went to live with the person that they're going to have to 
help and they might have isolated just beforehand mm. to make sure they weren't bringing in uh, symptoms and then they go and they stay with someone because they know that actually they're not going to be able to to and fro so they're better to sort of settle yeah. in one place it's a hard decision to make isn't it especially when you're mm. leaving your wife and we, we you know we know from how Bert talks about her, how beloved she was um mm. so yeah I think you know that must be a, really, a hard decision but uh mm. but definitely you know I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure um Brookfield must be very grateful to have him there mm. I th- I loved how in the episode so he's he's a little bit sad isn't he he's a, he uh, he longs for a trip to Felpersham even though yes he wouldn't normally go to Felpersham <laughs> particularly but he he now now that he sort of can't go he sort of really fancies it because he's been stuck in the same place for such a long time and it reminded me of how things are feeling now you know we were just talking before we started recording weren't we that I'd just been away uh to Cornwall for a week before lockdown I'd had a really lovely time um so I didn't not particularly feel the need to go anywhere but now that I know I'm not allowed uh, now that I've stayed in one place for a significant period of time I'm I, I start having daydreams about running away and going on adventures all around the globe um and I I sort of recognize that in um I'm recognizing that in Bert oh totally yeah absolutely I think it's quite sweet as well his um his his thinking about his quiz team his fellow quiz mates they thinking oh they're gonna be doing some practice at the pub oh I'd like to be there um it was very sweet and I know we're sort of skipping ahead a little bit towards the end of the episode, but when uh, when they're doing their little quiz practice in the uh, in in the farmhouse, that's so sweet and and so reflective of what's happening now. I mean, I've done so many Zoom quizzes um, <laughs> since this lockdown. Um, it's quite interesting that 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 is that's something that people obviously go to <laughs> for yeah. uh, for any sort of lockdown boredom moments. Um, do a quiz, share some knowledge. It's fab. <laughs> It is crazy, isn't it, how um, how much everybody really loves quizzing in these times. And I wonder whether we're going to see an, an upsurge afterwards of applicants to quiz shows because everyone's going to feel like their general knowledge has taken a real boost. Yeah, absolutely. They've, they've beaten their auntie Carol and, and Uncle Des on Zoom. So they think, well, I can take on the world. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Well, the Russells play Trivial Pursuit quite... Um, seriously at christmas time so i'm hoping uh i'm hoping i do a little bit better this year but then of course it because we're all in the same boat here you know that Mm. means my dad has also been practicing which means that we're probably going to have the same gulf between our knowledge he's so he just knows so much (laughs) trivial pursuit will over in five rounds (laughs) yeah exactly so and also so there's the the question of the the kids as well on the farm so I think, am I right in saying that Pip is staying with Shula so she can keep going to school? Well, um, in this episode, it sounds like she's still with Jill because Jill talks about doing lessons with Pip. But I did know from reading that that eventually, at some point, Pip goes to basically live with her aunt Shula so that ah, she can right, okay. still go to school until the ah, Easter holidays. Got you. Um, I, I did quite enjoy uh, hearing Josh described, I think, as a poor lamb. <laughs> which I'm not sure you'd use to describe him nowadays. Um, I don't know whether that's being harsh. Um, no, I think that's a great point. It occurred to me too. I thought, gosh, little do they know what terror that boy's going to cause them. <laughs> yeah, very sweet. Um, and, 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 and the other thing that's kind of happened in the build-up to this episode is that Ruth has had breast cancer. 
I think about a year previously, she's had breast cancer and, and therefore she's got to get to the hospital to, um, to have a checkup. Um, mm. And then, you know, there she, she's been, David has given her permission to, uh, to go to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yes, thank goodness. It sounds like she's okay. Um, yeah. And I guess we know, you know, we know in the future that, that, that she, you know, she is okay. So that's, that's kind of good news, but it must be a hard thing for her to have to go and do on her own. Mm, it must've been. And it, she yeah David couldn't come with her and she's going along to get confirmation that it's there's no mm. more traces of cancer I believe um mm. and yeah I didn't know that she'd had breast cancer or at least maybe I did but it was at the very back of my mind somewhere mm. um and I imagine that was another really useful storyline actually because if I'm thinking back nearly 20 years ago The difference between our knowledge, the general knowledge that everybody has now about cancer, but but specifically breast cancer and checking for it and being alert. Um, I I don't know what I'm saying. I think that the difference is bigger than I suspect. Mm. You know, I think, oh, we've always known, but actually probably 20 years ago, a lot of people weren't that aware of things to look for. So it probably was quite a useful Mm. storyline then. But thank goodness she was okay because... What would we do without Ruth Archer? I love Ruth. She's fantastic, isn't she? She's amazing. I remember her voice from when I was a child and I was overhearing mm. my mum listening to it. And I don't know yeah. what the Archers would be without Ruth. No, absolutely. She's sort of, yeah, an ever-present. Feels very solid. Mm. And loves her family. So, yeah, fantastic. But, and, but then at the end of the episode, we have this moment where she sort of comes, comes in, breaks up the quizzing circle... And um, because she's found she's found something on one of the uh, one of the she- uh, is it a sheep is it a sheep or a cow I thought it might be a cow it's a cow I probably is a cow I'm probably being silly at this point um, I think it might be a cow right yeah so um, she's found uh, some sort of abscess or thinks she she might have done um, yeah. and you can hear the panic's not the right Oof. word but it's 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 horror in their voices you can feel what it might mean. Yeah. If they find one small blister, yeah, what that actually could entail for the farm, yeah, for all of them. Because if they were to lose livestock, mm. I mean, that is their entire business. You can't just yeah. bounce back from that. It would be emotionally really sad. I think it would mm. also be, you know, even if you don't, ha- I, I, I don't know enough. I'm not a farmer, but if you were even just have a reputation maybe that you got it. I wonder if that affects, Mm. you know, people buying your livestock and your meat and everything later. People get a bit wary and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's spread so quickly and they can't control animals. I think that's a big difference Mm. is that when you feel like you might have had symptoms of coronavirus, you could at least control yourself. You could say, Mm. well, I will stay indoors and I will do what I'm told. Whereas... Mm. You can't really make an animal isolate. <laughs> yeah. You can't control them. So it must have been even, in some ways, really scary. Yeah. They're dreadful on Zoom calls and, 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 and Zoom quizzing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're absolutely useless in a quiz team. They're dreadful. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, but I think it's, I think the, the delivery and the performance is, uh, acting hat on for the moment is lovely just because the sort of, yeah, my heart dropped as I was like, "Oh my goodness, what's what's this?" Because mm, um, it's not just going to be that one animal, you know it. You know, yeah. 
it, that means that if, if you can see it at this stage, then it, then other yeah. animals definitely have it, and you yeah. just think it's the it's the panic, the lack of a, yeah. a, an ability to to control mm. the situation. It must be petrifying. I think in the end, it turned out that it, you know they didn't have a big hit of it. I don't think they caught it on the farm. Um, oh, great! And but it did have some proper financial, um, you know, effect, like really, really, really bad financial effect mm. on the farm. So. Yes, I'm not quite sure the details of all that, but yes, I think they managed to avoid it. Thank goodness. It's a good, um, it's a good reminder of the precarious nature of farming. I think mm. that uh, you know it's a really amazing business, and when it goes well, I think it can be really lucrative, and I'm sure people really, really enjoy it. But I also know, you know, I mean, I'm again no expert, but knowing from talking to people I know who are farmers mm. or have come from farming families, how uh, yeah, how things can turn is it on a pinhead. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or on a sixpence, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn on a sixpence. That's nice. That might be. Where, a, you know, it, maybe that's a football. <laughs> that's a football expression. I don't know. Um, no, I yeah. think that's a good one because yeah. it, it, you know, if you have a bad yield or something mm. one year, or you, uh, or if the weather changes one year, that can just affect an entire year's income, which affects the amount of money you can put in for the next year. And yeah, I mean, at the moment, you know, restaurants and pubs all closed. Like that is presumably a massive cut in their sales of uh, of meat and i think i heard oh, yeah. yeah dairy dairy is a huge thing at the moment in, in terms of milk being sent to coffee shops and restaurants and things there's been people, they're going to try and put on a drive at some point in the next few weeks for people to you know drink loads of milk <laughs> have, wow. a, have a particularly milky co- milky coffee um <laughs> just because sales, sales are massively down wow. anyway shall we shall we look um look at monday Oh, yes, my goodness. This is Brian Confesses to Jennifer. What an episode. Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I sort of, so I was aware of what had happened because Brian had had an affair with Siobhan and Siobhan at this point has had, I, I hadn't realised that Siobhan had had Rory as a baby before mm. anybody found out about it, which, yes, anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> no, um, no, I mean... It's the crux of the episode, isn't it? Because the mm. episode starts with Brian um, confessing to Jennifer that he's been having an affair. And it, there's mm. something about, you've talked about this before, the way the archers do it really well. They really create the right atmosphere. Mm. And I did feel as though it was very early in the morning. He'd been up all night. I could just feel that um, yeah. sense of how this morning was starting it might not even be fully light outside and a bit sleepy mm. and he but he knows he's had a long night of talking to Debbie and he's got to talk yeah. to her and I could just feel that sense of foreboding and of course what Jennifer does is really interesting she just assumes first of all she assumes that they were talking all night about Debbie and her ex-partner Simon who I think had been caught cheating as well all oh, right okay yeah so that's the first assumption and then and then Brian confesses that actually he's been having an affair, and Jenny sort of, it, she's not, she's not that surprised. You know, it's happened before. Mm. She knows the signs. Yeah, she knows the signs. She'd sort of seen, you know, he'd been a bit distant, and ultimately, it's a bit of a, oh for goodness' sake, you stupid man. But it doesn't mm. feel like a huge drama in the way that. I don't know the first time that somebody's cheated might be. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a massive drama until mm. she finds out that it's with it was with Siobhan. And then mm. that just it changes. 
on a sixpence, you could say. You could say. <laughs> it, she snaps, doesn't she? Because yeah. I think it's quite an accurate portrayal, to be honest. I, I suspect that, um, you know, when partners have been together for a really long time, you might not be able to say for definite that the, your partner is cheating on you, but you, you're not, like she says, I'm not, how stupid do you think I am? Yeah. You know, I know you, we've been together a really long time. I put up with, I put up with these things and I focus on the good and we're a team and that's mm. how we're going to be. And I assume you're telling me because it's over. And of course you're right. Brian says, no, no, I'm not telling you because it's over. I'm telling you because it's Siobhan. And it's really interesting because if you didn't know what had been going on up to this point, mm. and apparently this these episodes leading up to this episode were some of had like really high ratings for the archers, so everybody was getting quite involved in the storyline. Right, okay. Um if you didn't know, you might not know why the name Siobhan means something, but very quickly they explain that it's because Siobhan's had a baby. Yeah. So very quickly Jennifer puts two and two together and realizes that that baby that baby boy is Brian's baby. Yes. And I assume that there's been sort of speculation about the fact that no one knows who the father is. You know, you know Siobhan's had a baby. No one knows who the father is. Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't explain this in this episode. But what I gather from a little bit of research is that she is was also a married woman. So. Oh, oh okay. And so or was in a relationship of some kind. So the so it's clear that she, she has been having an affair. So she's the sort of fallen woman of the village. Um, right, and then having an affair with somebody, and everybody knows that that she's had a child by somebody else. Wow! And you can actually—it's really painful, isn't it? Because you can imagine that maybe leading up to this point, Jennifer has herself got a little bit involved in the gossip. Mm, oh, I wonder yeah. who, not yes, knowing yeah. that it's her partner, her oh. husband, um, and also Siobhan is much younger. Apparently, you know, not I'm um, mm. not illegally younger but um <laughs> she's she's younger than brian and jennifer yes um, yeah, yeah. a young woman yeah and absolutely. so that's quite a scandal as well um it turns out that it all came out because so siobhan is very very close with elizabeth and elizabeth actually knows about it dun, dun, dun. um and then <laughs> elizabeth has a party for the twins freddie right. and um lily which makes yeah. sense because you remember Freddie and Rory really hang out, don't they? Quite a lot. Yeah. And Josh. And, no, not and Josh, I, Ben. I remember Rory going to speak to Elizabeth about his mum. That, mm. That's right, isn't it? And they, there was a quite a nice conversation where um, Elizabeth showed showed Rory some photos of, of Siobhan. Um, so, yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. But, of course, Debbie is also really good friends with Elizabeth. And um, so they'd all come to this party and then... Apparently, recently leading up to this, Alice had found a photo of herself as a baby and mm-hmm. had shown Debbie and people about, uh, uh, shown Debbie and people this photo. And so, even though baby Rory apparently looks nothing like Brian, apparently yeah. baby Rory really resembles baby Alice. And right. so, Debbie sees that. She's also been, she's had some information from her ex, which she slightly disregarded, thinking it was maybe just bitterness. Then mm. she sees. Um, apparently Siobhan wiped Rory's face with a handkerchief that was Brian's that he'd left at hers right (sighs) and then Debbie confronts Elizabeth who apparently didn't admit to it but couldn't lie either you know you could just tell on her face yeah Yeah. and uh, and so Debbie insisted to Brian if you don't tell mum I will which is why Brian's doing it and then we hear and then we hear 
Jennifer talking to Debbie afterwards about and, and sort of apologising to Debbie for, oh. for 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 Brian's action. I don't know for having to um, having to go through that finding out process and and I, I think Debbie. It sounds like Debbie was pretty set that she was going to tell her mum. Like there was no way mm. that she was going to kind of kind of hide it because um, she's not she's not Brian's daughter, biological daughter. No. Um, she is Thingy Macy's daughter, Robert Traver Macy's daughter. Right. Which is why Adam is Adam Macy, because he is Adam's adoptive father. So right. Jennifer yeah. had Adam young with somebody else. Then she had Debbie with Robert um, and Robert became Adam's adoptive father. And then she met and then she went and got with Brian. I don't quite know what happened right. in between there. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yes, she's told. She said basically, but she does call Brian dad, um, mm. and she, and that's it. You see, Jennifer married Brian, and apparently the first um, fling occurred when they were young, and she decided to stay with Brian. And she says because I loved him, but she apologizes mm. to Debbie. She says, you know, what if I'd I've brought this upon you because I married Brian. He's not even your dad. And she's, you're right, she's really sympathetic towards Debbie. She says, this must yeah. be really difficult for you, considering what you're going through now. I'm really sorry you had to go through that, which I found mm. really moving. Jennifer is clearly a mum through and through, you know, first. And uh, she's thinking of her daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it. Uh, we, we, so I think I can. So you can sort of hear that, the position that Jennifer is in now, having just been told and realised that Rory is uh, is is the the product of her husband's affair, to being Rory's mother, effectively by mm. by the time we're hearing it, she is she's she has raised him, um, and that's a, it. Must be a remarkable process that she's had to go through to get to that point. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's pretty impressive, actually. I think we'd all mm. have a lot of sympathy if you if if somebody found that difficult. So mm. so to give anyone to back to in, so, you know, you probably know all this, listeners, but we didn't. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so I did some more research and I knew that Siobhan had died. So Siobhan died quite young um, mm-hmm. of cancer. And so Brian took Rory in with Jennifer and Jennifer agreed to do that um, and dealt with all the gossip and um, has been actually very good with Rory and and doesn't complain seemingly uh mm. and and we've seen episodes where she's been really 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 good to Rory the episode where Rory wants to talk about his mum but he feels dreadful and he he obviously um really cares for Jennifer because he doesn't want to hurt her feelings yeah, yeah which yeah. is extremely sensitive of a young man I think I mean again mm. I wouldn't necessarily expect that of somebody if you're missing your mum who has mm. died um, but he thinks of Jennifer's feelings and Jennifer thinks, oh, I'm, I feel dreadful. We should have been talking about her more and we should have been talking to Rory more. So she is able to put her children first. And I think yeah. they've the Archers have done well to keep that as a, to keep that as a through line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that, you know, by the time we we've started listening, Brian and Jennifer really are at the stage where they're, they're pretty solid. <laughs> you know, they've they've been through all this. You know, Jennifer's had her share of flings as well. I think. Mm, um, mm. I think that's a big thing. Um, Brian's obviously had his, and and actually, by the time that they've sort of <laughs> they've grown grown up a bit, it's taken them a while to grow up. It feels like, um, but yeah. by the time you know, last few years, they've been pretty solid. Even even when they've had to move out of 
their lovely home and, and go into a slightly smaller home. They sort of dealt with that together. They did. So if you want to hear some of the uh, the list of the affairs, is quite extensive. So Jennifer oh, had she had a close relationship that was apparently a cause of concern with John Tregoran. Okay. Now I think John Tregoran might be Anna Tregoran's father, Mrs. Tregoran's husband at some point. Um, so Anna Tregoran is later Helen's lawyer. Do you remember? Yes, must, yes, yeah, must be. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a link there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That make, must make sense. It was Brian who had most of the flings. His number one, his first fling in, ni- in 1985 was yes. Caroline Sterling. As in Oliver Sterling. Oh, wow. Now, I don't think she was married to Oliver at that point. Right, okay, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was, so I think she had a different name, but it is that Caroline. And that was discovered by Jennifer. And apparently Alice was really the product of their... um, Reuniting? Reuniting, exactly, so to speak. (laughs) Okay, yes, lovely. And then in 1991, Jennifer, however, rekindled her romance with Debbie's father, um thingy macy Mason. um yeah so that was a so jennifer sort of did it too and then brian had flirtations with mike tucker's wife betty who cleaned for jennifer so what a names i don't think i know at all <laughs> yeah okay the tuckers are an interesting one and i i need to do a bit of research on that okay. um the pony club instructor mandy beesborough oh, cliche <laughs> but another cliche the delegate from Ambridge's twin town, Murrell. Oh, my word. <laughs> so you can imagine some beautiful French-European <laughs> woman coming into Ambridge and causing a bit of a stir and turning yeah. Brian's eye, um, catching Brian's eye. Um, but the biggie, the big one was Siobhan because she was younger yeah. and married and then they had a son. Mm. And, it, and apparently another bit of backstory is that Brian, being patrician, apparently oh right yeah has always longed for his own son so even though uh, he does uh love adam i mean you know he's he really cares for adam but apparently he has always wanted his own son an heir so to speak yeah. um and jenny provided two fantastic daughters but the the thought i think that back then they there was a, an article I'm, I'm reading a lot i got a lot of my in- information from an article on the bbc website so do mm. look that up um and it's and it's sort of predicted then that that might be a problem one day when Rory comes of age. Mm. Will that create um, a rift between Brian and Jennifer because mm. because it's not Jennifer's son? But I think that they haven't gone that way because right. it looks like Brian really values his relationship with Jenny yeah. and Jenny's input and her strength and her bravery with looking after Rory. Yeah. Yeah, but apparently Siobhan wanted Brian to run away with him, with her. We hear the phone call, don't we? Where she sort of says, "Come over," and mm. and and Brian says no, which is actually, <laughs> thank goodness he doesn't. I don't know. That's uh... oh, I know. Well, apparently that's a big theme. You see, Brian will never really leave Jennifer. You know, for yeah. for all of his wandering eye, he does yeah. genuinely care for Jennifer yeah. and the team that they are. You know, yes, they are think... a team, aren't they? They are a team. And I think in that world, not my world, but I gather from the outside, the world of um, of probably, I'd say, upper class um, mm. farming communities, there's a lot of prestige, a lot of pride. 
uh, a lot of worrying about what people think of you. And if you make a good team, um, outwardly at least, uh, that's actually something very, very important to people. Yeah. Um, the article itself actually points out um, that it would be too easy to dismiss Jennifer as a political wife, a woman who turns a blind eye to her husband's philandry in exchange for credit credit accounts at Underwoods and a fantastic kitchen. But it points out that she's never been able to take the moral high ground completely due to her own fidelity, infidelity, mm. but yeah. also because of the, the partnership and her and Brian have. Um, and it is also clear in this episode that she does love him. Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? I think with a long-running soap, you, I imagine, you know, there's often you want to generate story and, and drama, but yeah. you you might want to you're constantly probably battling with how to make it believable but actually a, a relationship like this a partnership where the trust well, trust is maybe not the right word but the teamwork runs deep the partnership yeah. is strong and mm. actually when people get married that isn't the end that isn't happily ever after there's mm. lots of challenges like we've talked about and sometimes those challenges are internal challenges mm. Yeah, not necessarily absolutely. other things happening to them, and they do get through them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's a um, it's an interesting episode, kind of a real moment in time that sort of you think back to how that the shockwaves of that uh, moving forwards are mm. uh, you know still being felt. Mm. I thought also the performances were brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. I, yeah, I yeah. thought it was again really, really cracking performances, and something that I have so much respect for because I just don't know how you do it. When mm. it's uh, on the radio. <laughs> yeah, 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 create that world. Right, enough of affairs. We've got so much to get through. It's so exciting. Let's talk about Tuesday's episode, The Grundy's Eviction. Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, again, I kind of found this one quite interesting because we had a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an insight into kind of everyday uh, Ambridge life because we, mm. we, we opened the episode with Pat and Tony um, checking out some organic food stores, farm mm. shops. Um, they sort of they've gone to go and, and effectively spy on one to kind of see what it's like because um, mm. they are they they've either set theirs up recently or they're just trying to you know rejig it a little bit or mm-hmm. or possibly um, they've only just you know they're thinking about it at the time they're not quite sure mm. the bridge farm um, food shop yeah 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 it feels like the beginning of the journey that we yes exactly that we're at now yeah with that farm shop. Which is really interesting, and uh, but also odd because we've got a again we talked about last week we've got a different actor um, playing Tony, mm, mm. Um, which Colin is Colin uh, Skip. I want to say yeah he and he sadly died yeah yeah that's right um, yeah so I think I can imagine that must be a uh, uh, people who were listening at the time kind of hearing his voice again might, might have been um, quite a, quite a a shock or a moving or or a nice surprise i don't know um mm, mm. but uh yeah familiarity i can imagine but yeah so we, we kind of get a little bit of an insight into uh, like everyday ambush life which i i enjoy i enjoy it when we, these episodes kind of give us a little bit of that um mm. and they they mention uh jack don't they jack woolly yeah who... i think they mention tony's dad right who is peggy's the pe- the love of peggy's life yes yes that's right isn't it yeah yeah, because her first husband, I believe, was an alcoholic. Yeah, and I and I feel like they ran the bull. Oh. Jenny and Lillian's dad, 
I think they grew up in the bull, something like that. So someone can can educate us on that. But then her <laughs> second husband is the father of Tony, and mm. um, yeah, definitely the big love of of Peggy's life, I think. And it's yeah, and it's it's quite funny hearing them talking about this. Uh, you know, they need to get one of these websites in place, uh, <laughs> which is clearly a uh, clearly a you know new idea and. Uh, and they're not quite comfortable with it. It's, it definitely definitely places this one. What year? Um, what year is this episode? So, uh, two thousand, April two thousand. Wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, so that kind of uh, yeah, that's definitely definitely places it in time, doesn't it? Hmm, definitely. They're talking about mail orders. Wow. Yeah. Thinking where Tom takes them later, you know, with the veg boxes and online, and they're going to have an app. It's fascinating. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if in. 20 years time people are listening back to a, a, an episode of the archers going oh apps do you remember those mm, veg boxes yeah. do you remember those yeah, yeah and yeah. i'll just create mine out of my strange hologram machine <laughs> i didn't know where i was going with that i apologize for um, you had to invent a new invention uh in the in you know split second so i think you know you're too kind yeah very good very good <laughs> but then they talk about the grundies don't they and that sort of yeah. moves us on yeah absolutely so we, we move over to the grundies who are being they're being evicted um and i did a, i had a little bit of look into this and apparently yeah this was again a kind of a we talk about the arts being the, the public broadcast service sort of side of things um and and actually you know this was a common problem for uh, tenant farmers at the time, so they were tenant farmers, so they were renting the renting the farm, um, and they fell behind on their rent payments and ended up getting evicted. Um, and I think it was it was Borchester Land, so BL who owned the farm mm. and who uh, who were renting it to the Grundies. Um And I think at the time, the person in charge of BL was Matt Crawford. No. Yeah. So right. Matt... What would he call it? All right, pussy cat. Oh God. Oh, his voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Um. So yes, yeah, so, and he, I think, had been looking for an excuse to get rid of the Grundies for a while. Um. And then the minute they fell behind on their rent, they were off. And it's a really hard listen, isn't it? It really, really, really is. And I think it does show that other side of that that of farming, the precarious nature of it, the fact that. Mm. A bad couple of years can can really be the end. It, it's not as secure as maybe us city dwellers think it is mm. <laughs> as a job, um, <laughs> and it's hard, hard, hard work. Apparently, um, yeah. And there's quite a more. There's a the, again. I don't know the ins and outs, but there is a bit of a discussion, or still isn't there, about the big landowners versus the smaller farms yeah. and. Yeah the conflict between them and there is really no chance for a maybe a smaller tenant farming family to really make it these days and it's just far too challenging well yeah and i guess bl i mean i sort of i don't think i would have known that bl you know had been around for that that long like they clearly are a you know a big company or whatever they are i don't know um obviously they are they are who justin um, is involved with now and, and Brian's on the board and um, mm. but yeah they they presumably tenant farmers farmers aren't necessarily good for them they want they, you know they prefer just to have the land themselves and and uh, you know make a load of money that way I'm not sure 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a good argument. You know, with this episode, it's very difficult not to just feel like they're the big evil corporation, doesn't mm. it? And, and actually, even in this episode, Eddie Grundy blames Brian Aldridge for it. Mm. And seeing as Brian Aldridge is coming at this time from a very privileged and wealthy position, you do feel a little bit like it's a very easy, yeah. um, very easy sort of decision that that BL and, and all of those people are the baddies. Um, and, you know, it does feel that way for me, but I'm aware that I don't understand how it all works. And I'm sure that there is a good argument for things like BL um, companies like BL, you know, they're making the most of the land or, or they're making uh, more profit for farming communities or they make it more viable. Mm. I don't know. Um, probably have to look into that, but it is a really, really difficult episode to listen to and we hear the we hear the effect on the human side yeah totally it's um they're distraught and they are they're going to have to go through so many processes so they are having to move to a council flat in borchester um so they're all going there um obviously can't take any animals with them Mm. um so they've got to unfortunately get rid of their animals in various ways which I believe, from reading up around it, involves um, they had to kill the ferrets. No. Yeah, Eddie. Eddie had ferrets, and Joe had to had to put them down because they they just there was nothing they could do with them. Couldn't I presume they couldn't find anywhere for them to go, and they couldn't take them with them to the um, to the flat. They had to leave the, their dog Tess. Oh, that was the bit that I think that was the bit that got me. Oh. They had to take the take the dog over. Where, where did they take the dog over to Brookfield or no? I where? feel like they let yeah because he took. Ba- I feel like they also took baby. Yeah, baby the cow. Or oh, baby the cow. Okay, yeah. So there's baby the cow who because they talk about David keeping baby in a parlor and then tomorrow taking him out with mm. the rest of the herd or something. Milker tomorrow. So I assume yeah. that was a cow. Right. Um, yes. And yes. Then, but I feel like there's also Tess got left somewhere and he says, doesn't he, he goes, you know, at first she was fine. She thought we were just going to visit some people, yeah. but then I left and I could hear her howling. And then at the end of the episode, it comes running back oh, because it just wants to get home. It's, oh. It's, Animals it, are just the way to break yeah. my heart because yeah. they are just innocent, aren't they? They're just loving creatures yeah. and they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. And, Oh, and they don't understand. Loyalty, oh, and they just don't understand. Yeah, no, it's such a hard, such a hard listen. And Clary gets so very upset. Oh yes, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, a different different act actor playing Clary. Is that am I, I right? I wondered. I don't. Do you know what? I don't think so. Is it not? Am I? Am I? Am I, I, I mistaken? I tried to check the credits because they put a list of credits after the mm. Helen. Um, the verdict episode not the yeah. trial verdict but the the custody verdict and um and there was different names for the two tonys but i couldn't see a different name for clary oh, okay. but maybe that yeah, was just well. because clary didn't appear in another episode i don't know but yeah. um she does sound different doesn't she but maybe a bit yes. younger and yes and maybe stuff. yeah um but it's um yeah it's a real real hard listen i think um I think actually I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something you said and leap to Brian's defence. I believe Brian did speak in favour of the Grundies at the BL board meeting, um, oh. apparently. But but then something that he said sort of gave away the fact that I don't know. I think he sort of <gasps> dropped them in it sort of by accident um, oh, no. in trying to defend them. I can't, I can't quite remember the details. It's something I something I briefly read. Um, oh, we'll have to find yeah. that out. 
a really hard listen. And then and then there's been a journalist. Is it journalist there? Is that right? Oh, I know. Is it Brenda or something? Oh, it's awful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who must be Tom's girlfriend, <gasps> ex-girlfriend? Oh, yes, 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 Brenda? yes. We talked about this last week. We're the, making the, the... links. We're making, we're putting oh. it together, piecing it together like a giant Ambridge jigsaw. Um, well, that's not okay, is it? I know, I know. That's. I, I'm, you know, there's some wonderful journalists out there, I'm sure. Uh, no, there are, but it's there it, are. It, yeah. But yes, <laughs> this is not. Sorry, that that was uh, sounded far more like I was saying that all journalists were awful. They're not. Um, but uh, some, so a time like this, you just think I'll just leave them to their their, their sadness and their. Yeah. Exactly. Know. Yeah. It's interesting listening to this episode as well because if you imagine when you know we you and I was started listening a couple of years mm. ago, I always remember. Grange Farm meaning a lot to the Grundies and the fact that Grange mm. Farm were living there again. Yep. Uh, this time Oliver was their landlord and yep. Oliver and Caroline. And then they might have to leave Grange Farm mm. and then Oliver said, no, you can stay there. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And it just, it was constantly, it's constantly a theme running through the yeah. storylines with the Grundy Grange Farm, what it means yeah. to them to have Grange Farm. The idea, I think, was that Joe Grundy was part of them losing Grange Farm in the first place, which I'm sure right. isn't, you know, only partly true. But uh, so now I listen to this, I'm like, OK, I mean, yeah. I, I understood that it was important. But now yeah. the un- having heard the episode, yeah, it it all just shed a whole new light on, on yeah. that kind of storyline. And I think they were gone for 15 years or so. I think that no. they were living. I, I think that's right. Um, again, let us know if I'm, I'm wrong there, but I think I read that they, you know, they didn't end up moving back until 2015 or something. So, well, yeah, you can sense, imagine it. That's sort of when I started listening again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How much of an important thing. And Joe always talked about, you know, dying at, at Grange Farm, didn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, he wanted to, wanted to be there till he died. Um, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Tough listen, tough listen. Tough listen, and a very informative um, episode, actually. It gave me yeah. a real understanding of the kind of world that I'm just not in. So it, it was really, really yeah. good episode on, in that respect yeah, as well. Totally. Moving on to Wednesday's episode. Absolutely, Wednesday. And then we've got the floods hitting. I mean, this was... What an episode this was. All sorts going on. And this, I think, occurred almost just before I started really, really listening. Or it was in a, maybe a gap that I had. Um, mm. Because I remember when I was getting into the arches that the flood, the flood, the flood was such a huge thing for Ambridge and everybody was still referring to it and it had such a huge impact on the community. Yes, they were putting together, but uh, oh, was, was working on his garden, I think, and a sort of a, a memorial garden, is that right? Or mm. am, I, am I making that up? Yes, yeah, so there was Linda, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, so- and I didn't know then why Linda was such a huge part of it. But of course, mm. in this episode, you really understand why, because it actually really hit her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that's, we, you know, the action we hear, um, the sort of first big action we hear is, is Linda desperately looking for her dog, Scruff. Mm. Um, and Clary's there. We don't know why Clary's there, but she, she's there and she's sort of trying to help. And uh, Linda's just really struggling to kind of, I think, I think when something like that happens, it's very difficult to... Um, prioritize <laughs> i don't know or realize how serious the situation is she's having a real mm. panic about her coffee table and her cactus um mm. and not realize quite realizing that her life is in danger and she needs to 
get out of there. Mm. But it's really normal, you know, because I think when you're in that kind of situation, your your brain can get fixated on smaller things because you can't quite comprehend what's happening. Mm. Um, this is a really interesting little story regarding the pet as well. Um, when I was, it was actually 2001 or 2002, um, me and my family, we, we had a house fire on Boxing Day. Did you? Um, yeah, it was, it, thankfully, not no one was hurt. Um, just mm. put that out there straight away. It was a chip pan fire because we had an old school chip pan, which we hadn't turned off. Um, and we were living in Mary quarters in um, a forces base. So every door was actually quite similar to a fire door. So thankfully the fire didn't spread and these were kind of slightly new matchbox houses, you called them. Mm. Um, but so this fire started on Boxing Day. My grandma was staying with us and um and my dad's like right okay everybody out get on the lawn and and out on the street and we'll get uh, the the fire brigade and everything but two things happened my grandma had been given a very beautiful silk scarf by my dad for christmas and they didn't always get off and i wonder whether my grandma was just trying to be nice but she went oh no my scarf this beautiful scarf that you got me david david can you go back in and get it and Dad was just like, no, I cannot do that. I will not go back in and get your silk scarf. And then we realised she was wearing it. Oh. <laughs> she was wearing it the whole time. But I, being 12, and I had this cat called Midnight, who I'd had since I was about five. And uh, I mentioned briefly that when I was really younger, I'd had to go and live with my grandma for a couple of mm. years. And, and the I wouldn't go unless the cat could come with me. So everyone was like, okay, so the cat has to come with Charlie. And I I probably lived with my cat uh, for longer than any other member of my family because of wow. strange things that happened. So I was really close to this cat and I was just like, where's midnight? Where is midnight? And I was petrified. And I, I just couldn't think of anything but this cat being stuck right, in yeah. a house that was on fire. And it was just yeah. awful. So my dad... Um, my dad did go back into the house at that point. He just, all he did was he ran around and made sure that every single door was open. Right, okay. And it turned out she was hiding under a bed in one of the bedrooms. So he just made sure all the doors were open and then she did. She ran out of the front door um, wow. safely and was fine. And actually kind of got over the whole thing pretty quickly, more quickly than yeah. all of us. But um, but I really understood yeah. Linda just desperately looking for an animal. And yeah. You just don't know what to do. Like we said before, you know, the animals just don't, understand what's you know where is this you know whether it's water whether it's fire you know don't understand where this has come from and the best way of escape and you you surely feel like you need to i mean as soon as the doors are open it sounds like midnight and you exactly what to do just get out of mm. there um mm. but scruff bless him it sounds like possibly he's tried to run away and possibly run out of the door and uh oh, no. yeah i don't know but it certainly doesn't right i don't is think scruff see... ever found no i don't think so I don't think so, unfortunately. Oh, I think um, he was one of two casualties of the, um, the floods. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, God. Yeah. The two casualties, one of them being a human woman. Which yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, but still, I understand. Pets are very important. Okay, go on, go on. You, you speak, you've done a good good set of research for this episode. So I sort of had a look at this because I remember, I remember... Um, now, this is sort of flashing forward a bit, but um, Stefan, a bloke called Stefan coming back to Ambridge and basically blackmailing Rob about something that happened in the flood. And I never yes, knew what yes, that was. Yes. 
Do you remember? Uh, he talking... Yeah, because I wasn't sure whether I was making this up, actually. I was like, I'm sure Rob had something to do with this flood, but I couldn't work it out, so go on. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and actually, and that was kind of the reason that eventually Rob got fired from his job at, uh, job by Justin and then ended up getting chucked out of the country. And it was fantastic, great listen to. Anyway, but, but that was all because Stefan had seen Rob blocking what is called a culvert which is, um, and I'm sure lots of people have probably seen them, but under the road, you don't kind of put up a bridge, but if there's, a, if there's flowing water going, 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 needs to go past the road, sometimes you just put a kind of a, 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 kind of a structure underneath the road that allows the water to flow through. Sometimes it would be like a big concrete tube or kind of, a, you know, a slat or something. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, so that, so, but when the, when the, you know, rain was coming down and the river was high or whatever and there was a big flow of water, um, the dairy um, was being threatened that, that, that Rob was working in. So he blocked the culvert with a load of um, corrugated iron and black sheeting and stuff. Um, but the, what all that meant was that it w- went away from the dairy, yes, but actually ended up running towards the town and effectively <sighs> caused this this horrendous flood or made it a lot worse than it might have been so absolutely this is the weather that's caused it but rob has made things a hell of a lot worse wow and the first time we hear him in the episode and when we first heard him this episode i ah, mm. uh, i bristled i was like oh his voice oh um but he I, and i couldn't quite work it out but he just sounds absolutely manic he's kind of going about getting getting into the shop because people are going to need food and then and then the, somebody mentions a boat and he goes and runs and jumps in the boat and 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 I think after the time everyone sort of talked about what a hero he'd been in the floods because he'd gone and saved um Alistair and Shula and Chris in this boat and you know he'd really jumped into action but listen to it he just sounded absolutely manic and it kind of makes sense because actually if he's caused all of this chaos um and damage and he knows that. And he's therefore sort of, I don't know. It's actually driven by a sense of guilt. Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. He, he knows he's culpable. And there's the, he's become maniacal. It's, it, I thought oh, it was horrible to listen to. That is a really, really good point because his, his, it's fervour, isn't it? He's like, come on, come on. And he's yeah. always sort of, um, you, you mentioned it, I'm reading your little uh, notes, but he says he's very, very rough with Chris. And, yes. and look, Auntie Auntie Chris drives me a bit up the wall, to be honest. Yes, but, in this um, <laughs> moment, guys, come on, Chris, come on. Come on, Chris. But I also understand it, of course. You know, there's fight mm. and flight and there's also freeze. And yeah. uh, she's just freezing in the yeah. panic. And he's just shouting at her. Yeah. And Shula says, you can't bully her into this, you know. And actually, Shula uses a really good technique, which um, is meant to be really useful for helping lots of people who are in some... Uh, specific mental distress which is just think about that rather than thinking about the whole thing you just need to be brave for the next few minutes you don't have to yeah don't consider every everything all at once that's far too overwhelming Mm -hmm. just think about the next thing you need to do and then the next thing you need to do and then the next thing you need to do and it becomes more easy to handle reminds me of um uh chandler getting married in friends (laughs) (laughs) do you remember it's just like all you gotta do put on a tux there you go. That wasn't so hard. <laughs> and, then he's like, yeah, yeah. and what's next? And he's like, get, get married. Get, get it's married. now. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but so it's baby true. Steps. It's a useful thing. Yeah, baby steps. Mm. And so Shula manages to do that with Chris, but, and he's been quite yeah. rough. But at the same time, he is there. 
he has yeah, absolutely. And then and then it sort of ends up getting knocked out. Is that right? I, I could. I mean, again, this is what I mean about this. Be you know, it's just kind of the middle of an episode. I kind of wanted to hear the next one as well, but it sounds like he's you know been knocked out in the process of kind of saving um, Chris and Asma Shula. Yeah. Maybe oh to be to be Auntie Chris just kicking him in the head. Oh yeah, oh. well done, Chris. <laughs> um, but a lot of so a lot of people. So I think the the villagers kind of end up in either one or two places. Either they're in Grey Gables mm. or they're mm. in the church. And we hear a lot of the stuff that's happening in the church. Um, at first, we we hear Jennifer um, worry because some talk has been interrupted. Somebody's come in um, because. <laughs> You're obviously running away from the flood, and she's like, oh, yeah. she really need to come in like that." I'm not quite sure. I don't who think she's that's. About. I don't think that's um, Jennifer. Was oh, that not Jennifer? Oh no, that's um, Jill's best friend. I think Mrs. Trigorin. Uh, Carol. Okay, I've completely uh, mistaken that voice. Then no, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. But it's. I think it's it's Carol. I want to say, the one who you know. There's a whole thing about their jam, one year. Ah oh, yes, absolutely. And Flower and Rogers show. I think yeah, it's that lady. Yeah. Right. Okay, got you. But um, but everyone sort of ends up kind of hiding out in the church, seeking refuge in the church, and mm. um, power goes, and they 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 use the cat. It's a really nice moments actually, where um, is it as Jill lit the candles? Um, oh yeah. And and Alan sort of says, um, you know, they're there for giving light. Absolutely, there's no problem using those. Yeah. But yes, it's kind of it's. I don't know, it just it kind of reminds me of, you know, I'm sure churches were used as refuges, you know, in, mm. in, in, in times like these. Um, because it's appropriate, they are, isn't it? Yeah, and they're sort of, you know, practically solid buildings. They've been there hundreds of years, so they're kind of, and they're still standing. They've probably seen floods in their time before this, so um, it makes sense to try and get there. Mm. But then we get to this, the kind of the, the, the big culmination of the episode, which is Frida. Frida, so I think Bert is in still in the bungalow and Frida's very worried. Now, mm. Frida, of course, is one of these silent episodes. We never actually hear her voice. Mm. Um, and she sort of goes to try and rescue Bert. So she gets in her car, tries to drive off and just sort of ends up driving into the flood and obviously the car can't go any further. Um, but then Alan and Jill go to rescue her, don't they? Yeah, they do. So, so Alan manages to get her out of the car. I, I'm intrigued... So it's a bit of a funny one for me. Like, I don't know how I would feel, how we would have felt about, about this episode at the time. So I'm, I'm interested to know what sort of a connection you can build with a character who is silent. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. how emotionally invested are, were listeners? I mean, and maybe 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 listeners uh, at the time can tell us, but I, I don't know. Obviously, we know that Bert loves her, absolutely adores her. Um, and, you know, presumably she's been a bit of an ever-present. You know, people talk about Frida all the time. Mm. But I, it, are, we, are we emotionally invested in her? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know at the time. And I guess mm. I know what's going to happen. But it's, it's a hard to listen because, you know, we can hear the panic in, in Alan and, and Jill and trying to get her out of the car. Um, and they do manage to get her out of the car. Um, but uh, later she sort of ends up being taken to hospital and she has shock and uh, hypothermia and ends up passing away. Um, I don't know. It must, it's just interesting. I'd be interested to know how well can you connect to a character that has never said anything. That is a really good point. I think mm. um, I would love to hear what people think. Potentially, mm. if you re-look back to the episode in this week where 
Bert is in Brookfield and yes you know he mentions Frida so much and how much he misses mm. her and you, you actually wrote down I think this is the longest he's ever been away from her or something yeah so potentially it's one of those um one of those things where she's talked about so much that she has become really solid mm. in people's minds we have a this is a bit of an odd tangent I'll try not to be go on too long but when we do um when Mischief the, the theatre company I'm part of uh, when we do improv shows um, one of the best things you can do is when you're improvising on stage is actually talk about one character that isn't on stage and you really sort of, uh, the expression is endow them. So because you talk about them, you say what they're like and you can really go into detail because you're not talking about yourself, you kind of take the pressure off. And mm. on stage you create this character and then actually oh. at the end when you when somebody improvises and then is that character... It's brilliant because they don't have to do anything really because all we've done, we've told the audience exactly what they're like and the audience then project that image that they have onto the actor then improvising as that part. Uh, and it's really, really effective. It's also really useful for the actor because they basically mm. have loads of direction. So they don't have to make many decisions. They just need to do what they were told. Um, and often mm. you find it in um, things like, like regular dramas. You know, people talk about a character a lot and then you're like desperate to see them and they, you're so excited. And I wonder whether mm. Frida had been endowed so much that her image was really, really yeah. strong in everybody's minds, even though they've yeah. never heard her. Right. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're probably, I think, I suspect you're probably right. Um, I mean, I sort of, you know, even just listening after she'd died, I sort of, Built up a picture of her in my mind from what Bert had said, and it was it was a while before I learned that she never actually spoke. Um, well, that's it. I couldn't believe she'd never spoken yeah, because of the way yeah, Bert and everybody talked about Frida. Yeah, fascinating, absolutely. isn't it? That's so interesting. So endowing characters off stage, little tip there, little insight off stage. Keep your characters well endowed. <laughs> well endowed characters, please only. <laughs> only. Only. Okay, Thursday's episode, yes. which uh, I was crying whilst mm. cooking my baked beans. <laughs> well, this is this is another fabulous one that we we were both listening to at the time, so we sort yeah. of are fully, fully emotionally invested in it, absolutely. Um, and Helen wins custody of her boys. Yes. Yeah, I'd just like to add a little content warning um, in case uh, this kind of subject is difficult for you to listen to. We will be discussing domestic abuse and coercive control as it is a key element to this storyline. Um, we will be adding links to organisations that can provide more information and support about issues like this. Um, we'll put those links in the details on our SoundCloud link mm. and page. Um, but just, yeah, a little content warning for you. If you'd rather not listen, that is absolutely fine. Yes. I mean, we've we've obviously been through so much with this storyline. By the time we reach mm. this point, we've seen the gradual build-up of, of Rob's control over Helen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, starting with, you know, little comments about what she's wearing and uh, yeah. then stopping her driving her car. And, and that's built and built and built. Mm -hmm. um, he really used the pregnancy to control her as well, didn't oh, he? Yeah, wasn't it? it horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I listened. I I ended up. I ended up listening to just like looking into Rob a little bit, um, which I couldn't bear to at the time. Um, but yeah, ended up listening to a little bit of um, some outfits that that Helen had been out and bought. And Rob was saying, mm. "Oh yeah, they're much better than the, uh, the the dress you wore last time." 
Uh, you yeah. bought last time. You're not exactly Kim Kardashian, are you? That's something horrible. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we've reached the culmination of that story where, where Helen ended up um, protecting herself and her sons by stabbing uh, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. And at this point... Now, 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 remind me. So what's happened? Helen has been in prison. Um, she's now out of prison and looking for custody of her boys. That's right. So the, the trial, which was actually the trial um, for Helen, um, mm. she was accused of attempted murder, I believe. Mm. Um, she was found not guilty yeah. because uh, the evidence produced by Anna Tregoran and Helen and other people Kirsty, uh, clearly in as well. Kirsty, yeah, and yeah. family members clearly indicated that Rob was abusive and had mm-hmm. been uh, employing a technique, sadly, of, of coercive control as well as physical abuse and sexual abuse. So once that evidence was heard in court, the jury um, and the jury episode, an incredible episode, including actors such as Nigel Havers and Catherine Tate, um, Mm. the jury jury did not find her guilty because they took into account the abuse she'd been suffering, which was a a victory, one we needed. I I don't know Mm. if if people could have really handled it if uh, if that hadn't happened. And it was absolutely the right the right result. But of course, she now has to fight for custody of her children because the trial wasn't of Rob. So Rob yes. has actually not been convicted of anything. And Helen sort of has to decide about whether she wants to, you know, bring yeah. charges against Rob. And she decides not to. She's, she's, she's been through enough. Her sons have been through enough. And therefore, I think, I think that's kind of the, the conclusion she reaches. Yes, um, and I think it's slightly one of the conclusions she reaches because of this as well. Because um, during all of this, when Helen was in prison, um, Tony and Pat were trying to get custody of Henry because mm. being Helen's husband uh, and I think adoptive father of Henry at this point, mm. Rob actually had custody of Henry and they were very concerned for Henry's well-being Um living with Rob and Rob's mm. parents who are also pretty toxic people. Yeah. Um, so they had already been starting to try and file for custody for Henry and therefore Jack as well, when Jack was born. And at this point, um, because Helen's been found not guilty, she is part of that uh, file for custody. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we actually start the episode with the judge they go straight into it, don't they? The judge is yes. saying, I've heard all the evidence and I believe that Henry must live with Helen, as must Jack. Um, I don't believe that Rob has the right to see Henry ever, considering yeah. all the information. Um, I mm-hmm. actually think he might have caused psychological harm to Henry. Yeah. Um, as, as Jack is Rob's biological child, Jack has the right to see his father. It is that way round. It's that Jack has the right, if he chooses, to go and see to see his father. But being a baby, um, you know, he can't quite make that decision right now. And so, so contact is allowed, but the judge is very clear that it cannot be and must not be unsupervised. It must be supervised contact and quite limited. Um, so I think they decide in the end that Pat or Tony will be supervising that contact with jack his yes it ends up being tony isn't it i think in the end and some of that stuff where he has to go and i think uh, it's horrible to have to listen to him going to be in the same room as the man that um treated 
his daughter so abysmally. I remember being yeah. very hard listening. Yeah, it must have been really, really difficult. But they do, they basically, it is probably one of the best outcomes mm. they could have hoped for. Absolutely, for the yeah. Archer definitely. and family. They all, and they definitely seem sound, you know, really happy, well, not happy, but yeah, positive about the outcome. Yeah, they do. It's basically, I mean, I think Anna Tregorin actually says, um, Helen, you've won, you're properly free. Yes. And it was just a moment where I think my yeah. shoulders just finally relaxed, both then mm. and now. I went, yeah. oh, God, yeah, finally. Yeah. Well, it was nice to hear from marriage Anna Trugoran again as well. Oh, yeah. I really loved her. I was actually quite sad that she didn't become a more permanent character. I think um, mm. the character's great, but also I just think her voice is so lovely to listen to. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, really lovely. We, we sort of, we and then we, we sort of go back to a, a dinner back at home where they've got the family around and I think Tony has found this whole thing heartbreaking because he ultimately feels like he has failed to protect his daughter. Um, so his speech is uh, is very moving, um, as is Helen's, but it does feel like the end of something. It does. Yeah. And the beginning of something new. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the kind of the, you know, the first day of the rest of your life sort of feel to it. Yeah. Always makes me cry when the parent says, I'm proud of you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh. absolutely, yeah, really lovely. But then we get a little snippet of, um, now, has Tom dropped Kirsty home or vice versa? Can't, must be Tom dropping Kirsty home, is it? Mm, it sounds like Tom. Tom's dropping Kirsty home, that's right. And it's not a little uh, quick uh, goodbye. It's certainly not. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, they've both been some, through such something so... Um, emotional with Helen and obviously we you know last week we got to see their dreadful uh, failed wedding day mm. but they end up sort of end up kissing and uh, spending the night together mm. and we later find out this is the night that Kirsty becomes pregnant is that right yeah yeah so yeah absolutely this is the night where she becomes pregnant with Tom's baby um, and later she sadly suffers a miscarriage so it's also the beginning of a big new storyline that we know is on its way. But mm. you're right, having heard... So when I heard all this happening at the time, I was like, oh, this is exciting, and maybe Kirsty and Tom should be together, and why won't they be together? I don't yeah. really understand what the problem is. And now, <laughs> now I understand, because Kirsty makes it really clear. She's like, I want you to know this is not us getting back together, but yeah. I would very much like to spend the night with you. Because I think what they've been through, you know, what they went through with their marriage is not to be dismissed or undermined mm. in any way by well, their lack of marriage. Um, mm. But obviously this, the Helen situation, what Helen's been through, their love for Helen, mm. their support for Helen supersedes everything. Yeah. And I think there must be just this genuine need to kind of have a culmination of all of this and a yeah. relief, a deep breath, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I can understand, you know, the way they decide to express that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Although I hate kissing noises. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it's, yeah. When I when I when I talk about how wonderful it is when radio drama really brings you into the moment, there's some moments you don't necessarily want to be brought into. <laughs> um, and the, the doorstep with uh, Tom and Kirsty was not necessary. Was not was one of those. It was definitely um, one of those. Thank goodness they left us outside. Indeed, um, they left us outside and went inside, didn't they? And yeah. I thought, uh, I thought it is impressive how they work together during this uh, storyline, the Helen storyline. Um, mm. And they're obviously good people who are just flawed. 
Um, yeah. And it's really important, I think, that Tom thanks Kirsty, and and so does Helen, and a lot of people do. And I think, you know, it wouldn't be right for Kirsty to take mm. the limelight in this story. It is about Helen no. and her, yeah. what she's been through, and her bravery and her strength too. But mm. Kirsty has been amazing, and yeah. um, I think it's good that someone told her that. Yeah, I'm yeah, pleased. absolutely. Um, and then I think another. So there's two things that are really interesting about this episode. One is they talk about the uh, psychological harm that Rob has inflicted upon Henry. And I, it's just a little prediction siren, but not, I don't mean to be, um, you know, I don't take pleasure in it necessarily, but I do wonder whether there will be a storyline later in the Archers about Henry growing up and uh, his life as an adult, because he has been through so much. Mm. This is definitely trauma. Yeah. that he's experienced at a really young age. And that it can have an effect and an impact mm. on your mental health as an adult. Yeah. What's really positive is that he's really loved and well looked after now. Um, and I and I do believe it, it's perfectly reasonable to think that he will live a very happy life. But it, mm. it might be unrealistic to assume that there won't be any challenges arising from this experience. Yeah, they're very formative years, these, for him, I think. Yeah. And so I wonder, with the sort of public service broadcast hat on, the archers might use that storyline as a way to promote the need for talking mm. about your experiences and your past and traumatic events mm. and and then other people listening to that. Yeah. And um, maybe maybe Henry will really benefit from therapy and counselling, but he yeah. deserves that. Uh, yeah. And maybe the archers can show how useful it can be for people, um, mm. as they have done already with Elizabeth. So yeah. I wonder. Interesting. Mm. And then the other the other shout out, and I know this is might be controversial, George. Is actually Timothy Watson and Carolyn Jones. So Timothy Watson plays Rob Titchener. So we hate Rob Titchener mm. with the burning passion of a thousand suns. <laughs> Timothy Watson does an incredible job. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And Carolyn Jones plays his mother. Ursula, isn't it? Ursula, what a brilliant name. The the That's evil amazing. witch in in, uh, in the Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid yes, yeah. I actually love the name Ursula personally, but yeah, it's yeah. fab. Oh no, actually, they do a fantastic job, and and I think similarly with as to with um, Philip at the moment, I'd be interested to know how much um, Timothy knew Timothy Watson knew about um, Rob's character developments, and uh, but but but. I think that they did a, you know, obviously did a wonderful job kind of bringing that in. And and the fact that, the very fact that when his voice first came on in the flood, I just kind of like, yeah, I bristled, just shows what a fantastic job he did. Mm, it really does. And uh, and they didn't play them, you know, uh, like evil guys, you know, twiddling their long moustache with music <laughs> following them everywhere because... That's actually not like what it's like in real life. If it mm. was, then we'd all know when yeah. the bad guy was coming. And we, yeah. uh, but it, absolutely, we don't. You know, yeah. But he doesn't not. think he's the bad guy. He no. doesn't think he is. And and no. Rob plays it. Timothy Watson plays it as if Rob is the hero in his story, which yeah. is accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Rob will be the hero in a story, and 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 it's why we can be charmed and manipulated mm. by abusers. They don't think they're wrong. They don't know that they're monsters necessarily, and that is exactly why there should be no blame or shame placed on any survivor of yeah. uh, domestic abuse um, for not in inverted commas seeing it earlier, yeah. because actually it's it can happen to any any of us. 
it's mm. a slow process it's the as you mentioned with the clothes it's a slow chip chip chipping away at people's self-worth and self-confidence mm. and we could all be taken in by somebody manipulative so it's not your fault it is always the abuser's fault every time totally um very very good point thank you and this episode however ends with a bit of hope as you mentioned mm. with tony dark times will come but there is always hope absolutely and, and if we look at helen now you know i was thinking about that actually yeah thinking about lee and and the fact you know flash forward and obviously it's taken her a while to be able to form a relationship and even when mm. she found that she sort of almost pushed it away but one hopes that that might you know there might be happiness for her there yeah these things that happened to her will be a huge part of her life for the rest of her life but they mm. don't have to define her and yeah. i'm really really pleased that she's had some positive storylines yeah what a week george that was the end of the week yes <laughs> fabulous well, again some fun, fun really interesting episodes and yeah the, the, there's episodes in there that i just like I say, I'd love to hear the following episode or I'd love to hear the episode mm. a couple of episodes before in the build-up. Or I know that they can't do that, but um, but yeah, no, really uh, really interesting listens. And uh, I'm looking forward to next week as well. Me too, me too, can't wait. So thanks for listening, everyone. Lovely to have you with us again. And we shall have a fantastic week. Look after yourselves. Stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, we'll see you uh, or hear you, well, you'll hear us next week. <laughs> oh, what a sign-off. You, you do that, you do it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>